0: Welcome to The Long Way Around the Barn, where we discuss many of today's technology adoption and transformation challenges and explore varied ways to get to your desired outcomes. There's usually more than one way to achieve your goals. Sometimes the path is simple, sometimes the path is long, expensive, complicated, and or painful. In this podcast, we explore options and recommended courses of action to get you to where you're going now.
1: The Long Way Around the Barn is brought to you by Trility Consulting. For those wanting to defend or extend their market share, Trility simplifies, automates, and secures your world, your way. Learn how you can experience reliable delivery results at trility.io.
0: Welcome to The Long Way Around the Barn. This is the second episode in our series discussing remote monitoring, management, security, and privacy in the senior living industry. Last week, we focused on purchasing and securing IoT monitoring devices, implementing platforms, and securing the data associated with them. This week, we dive into the role and value of whole organization information security and privacy plans. Do you have them? Should you have them? And what do they look like? We have two exceptional experts for today's discussion. Rebecca Harold has over 25 years of IT, InfoSec and privacy experience. She's the owner and CEO of The Privacy Professor and most recently, Privacy Security Brainiacs. Rebecca hosts the radio podcast show Data Security and Privacy with The Privacy Professor. She's an expert witness, entrepreneur and author who has received numerous awards and recognitions for her work throughout the course of her career. Rebecca has written 20 books to date chapters in many books and hundreds of articles. And Nathan Gibson. Nathan is the Chief Security Architect and Director of Enterprise Security Architecture at Allstate. Nathan's information security journey spans multiple industries, including our nation's Air Force, the healthcare industry, FinTech, residential and commercial security, with a heavy focus on cloud adoption, engineering and security. Thank you for joining us today. Question one. Uh, whole organization information security plans. Basically, senior living organizations, uh, as they become more and more technology savvy and dependent, uh, the number of moving parts and exposures to risks and liabilities is only going to increase. Do you guys recommend that organizations formally create and implement whole organizational information security plans? Uh, for example, uh, if they don't have them already, should they? And if they are going to put them in place, what should they look like? How do they know when they're done? What is a good model? What is an information security plan and why should the C-suites and leaders and senior living communities have them? Nathan, would you like to lead us off, sir?
1: Sure. Um, I think that the, the you know, short answer for that is is yes, but there's a, a long conversation surrounding that. Um, there, there's a right way and I think a, a, a wrong way. I think uh, for for implementing uh, information security plans. And if you go out, to, you know, NIST or or different, you know, federal guidance. NIST is National Institutes of Standards and Technology. They're going to have sample templates for an information security plan. And if you're implementing them for the right reason, um, which which would be you're truly looking to protect um, your, your uh, uh, customers or protect those people that you're caring for in the data, then you're actually gonna look at it and understand what it is. If you're simply trying to check a box from a compliance perspective, um, then, then it's very easy to take those and, and copy paste and, and label that, hey, I have an information security plan, and you're checking a box. And there is a difference between being you know, compliant and being secure or actually you know, uh, protecting um, the data the way you should and the way you want to. And each organization, I think, depending on the technology they offer, um, is gonna have a different set of standards and a different set of policies um, because their technologies are different. So if they look at it from, hey, we're gonna bring in this capability and spend the time to document you know, a particular policy for when that can be used and how it must be used and, and technical guidance, that collection of documents over time that becomes your information security standard. Those are the types of things I think organizations should strive for. Um, A lot of times, the technology they're using is going to be based off a vendor. So it's also equally important for them to understand the vendor and understand those vendors' privacy policies and practices and procedures. And maybe even that vendor can help them Institute their own standards based off other customers that are using their products. So even though they may not have those skills in house, they can ask for that question when, or ask for that service when they're purchasing that um, particular product or capability from a vendor. Can you help me implement internal policies and standards to appropriately, you know, operationalize this product or this service? So,
0: okay, all right, Rebecca, what are your thoughts on this?
2: Yeah,
1: absolutely. And
2: I, I agree with uh, what Nathan said. And I would add to that, too, you know, a lot of folks who are listening, if if they're from senior living organizations um, or they have loved ones who are there, I think also add to the just that need uh, that Nathan talked about. Just think about all of the information that is within senior living organizations. And it's not just technical. In fact, there is so much information within these organizations that is written down on paper, Mm -hmm. that is written on whiteboards, that is written on bulletin boards, that are on chalkboards, uh, that are on the outside of people's doors when you go to visit, you know, a resident. So it's so, so important to make sure that all of that information is protected And the best way to make sure that you're protecting not just your residents uh, and your visitors, but also just think about the actual organization itself. You know, you have a reputation. Each senior living organization wants to be trusted. If you don't have a strong and consistently followed security program with some applicable rules that are specific to your organization and your risk environment, then uh, you're going to have bad things happen. It could be accidentally. Maybe somebody wrote their password down and left it on uh, the registration desk, and somebody saw that when they came in to see someone, or maybe a salesperson saw that when they came in. All of a sudden, now someone else knows what perhaps your ID and password is to get into the uh, the the senior living organization website, or if they see files of your residents, do you know how lucrative it is to have the personal information of senior citizens and use that to perform identity fraud and other bad things so mm. You know, there's so many reasons, as Nathan said, beyond compliance. Certainly, compliance is there to set up really the minimum necessary to make sure you have basic security controls in place. But you also must always go beyond those basic minimums to identify where are these additional problems that you might not have in a checklist, but still are problems. Somebody brings in an Alexa because they know that the residents are going to enjoy that. Well, you know what? Alexas are really cool. I mean, I've been experimenting with one since uh, last December. And, you know, they are fun. You can play some really cool music. I mean, I love Ella Fitzgerald so much. And I play music by her. I know the senior living organization folks would love to hear all their old favorites, right? But if you have that going and uh, it's not 100% perfect, it's also taking information based upon keywords and storing it in the cloud. And that information has been compromised before. It has been misused before. It has been shared with third parties before. So you need to just make sure you know what your environment is like and where all the risks are, you might have these digital spies and other types of uh, spies on feet <laughs> coming in and out of your organization that you don't know about. So yeah, that you need to every organization needs to have a security uh, information security and privacy program in place. I mean no organization uh, cannot have one today and still be safe from from bad things happening.
0: You know, that's a really good call out that I'd like to amplify if you don't mind, which is uh, Rebecca, you mentioned that information security plans don't only cover technical things, but it covers all types of information. And that behavioral, um, it's, it's behavioral information, it's experiential information and as well as the technological considerations. And so a lot of people uh, that we've run into through time have um, assumed that common sense was common and that passwords shouldn't be stored on post-it notes or passwords shouldn't be stored out in plain sight for everyone else to use, or that entire staff shouldn't be using the same login credentials for one application, those types of things. I think that those are the types of things that you're referring to also, which is to have a plan talks about the behavioral, experiential, the technological, all of the aspects of data, not just I bought a device, I plugged it in, and now I have a plan. Am I getting that correctly?
2: Yes, and I would add to that um, it must consider the full life cycle of information as well, because there are some significant risks when you're collecting information. When you have new residents come into your senior living organization, think about it, they fill out how many forms? And I know because, you know, as, I've, as uh, we talked about before the show, my mother was in a facility because of early onset Alzheimer's. And then my father was in a facility because of cancer. And when, when filling out so many forms, and so many times you're filling out 20 forms and they're asking you the same thing on, on 10 of those pages where are those pages going? Physical, that's physical information. And they say, well, don't worry about it. We're going to input this into the system. So then, uh, you know, it's all going to be safe in our computer. Well, where are you putting that uh, physical paper when you've got it input into the computer? Well, we throw it away there it comes to the end of the life cycle, right? You've input it and now how are you throwing that away? Can I find my information that I just put uh, down for my parents back behind your um, facility in the alleyway dumpster? A lot of people find information there. So, So even that physical information, you need to make sure that you deal with that too.
1: And I would add on to what Professor Harold was saying. You know, in between there, likely what's happening is, you know, they're collecting that information on paper. And then what's that data input process? What's that look like, right? If they get so many forms, you know, and, and this isn't just the initial. This is if they have Medicaid claims or Medicare claims potentially you know, is that sitting next to a scanner? Um, just a pile of paper sitting there waiting for the night crew to come in and scan those and input into those those systems. While they're sitting there, who has access to that data, right? Um, uh, I think you mentioned uh, uh, spies with feet, right? Um, who's coming in and out of your facility, how you're locking those up. And that's where, you know, your information security program can be as simple as, you know, setting some some you know operational processes, documents saying, hey, you know, when when we collect this document, you know, from from the uh, the patient um, uh, or a patient relative, um, this is the place that it goes. And and you know, have a discussion around, you know, how are we securing that? How long does it sit there? You know, who's authorized to get access to that? And then what's the next step, right? And just documenting that process. That right there, that simple thing is not a complex thing, but that's part of your information security program and your plan and becomes an operational standard at that point.
2: Well, and I want to just quickly emphasize, I love that you brought that up, Nathan, because having it documented is so important because the people in your organization will not consistently follow these practices if it is not written down. Uh, if you have just one person who's not doing something, that one person could cause a huge problem, a huge breach or a huge, a huge outage because they didn't consistently follow what everyone else was, was doing. It needs to be written in policies and procedures.
0: Hmm. So one of the things I wonder then, and you guys uh, could both expound on this, one of the things I wonder then is, When you're talking about the data all of the different forms of the data you're also talking about the types if you're talking about the types but you're also talking about locations and so as part of an information security plan then do you recommend or what do you recommend as it relates to in order to have a policy or a procedure or to have an opinion you need to know what you have you need to know where it is and you need to understand who's accessing it, how it's being used, all of those types of things. Is understanding that, if it's an asset inventory or it's an inventory of all data in the organization, do you consider that to be a critical component of the information security plan itself?
1: I think, uh, you know, absolutely. First off, there are, I, I, I would assume, and, and a professor can probably speak more to this based off her experience, but there's some standard forms Um, that that is usually filled out, you know, when when somebody is being, you know, admitted into a facility or, uh, um, uh, you know, transient through a facility. And understanding what data you're collecting um, on those forms and classifying that data, and then uh, from that point, setting rules around that data classification, knowing that hey, this particular form, you know, does have you know sensitive data, so we're only going to allow it to be stored in these locations. So once you collect it, we're only allowing it to go in this location, and understanding that and putting that in policy and then enforcing that. I think it would also add is it actually helps the organization take security out of it, it helps them be more streamlined, right? If you have a new employee that comes in, what better way to quickly get them up to speed than having exact operational standard that they can read on, you know, how they collect data, where it must go um, to maintain a consistent, predictable, repeatable operation for the business and onboarding new employees quickly. So I think, yes, it does become more difficult when you're dealing with paper documents um, that, that has to, you know, probably change um, quite a bit. Um, but yes, knowing where that data is at and what data you you're collecting uh, is something that should be in your your standard and your organization's, you know, way of classifying it. Like we we consider this extremely sensitive data. So therefore only these, you know, roles or, or, um, you know, titles within the organization can have access to it underneath these circumstances. That's, that's super critical to have in your plan.
2: To add to that, just think about it. Um, How can you protect data and make sure it's used appropriately unless you know exactly what information you have and in what form it is and where it's located? I mean, my gosh, just imagine what if every one of us had 20 credit cards, but yet we didn't keep track of where those credit cards were. Now, maybe there might be a credit card in your home safe and you have it locked up. That one's probably pretty secure, right? But what if you have five of those credit cards out in your, maybe in your uh, automobile and you go to a, a restaurant to do it, you know, and, and leave it in there, you know, it. somebody gets your credit card. Are you going to even know that if you didn't know your credit card was there to begin with? So keeping track of all of your information is kind of like keeping track of your own personal values. Because if you don't know where things are that you value, and if you don't know how to protect them, then things are going to happen to those valuables. And you're going to really be sad and mad at yourself for not securing them and keeping track of them to begin with. That's the same way with with any business. A business has to consider information as being valuable. And they need to know what information they have so that they can then determine how they need to protect it in all the locations where it's located. Because kind of like Nathan was talking about with the classification and so on, if you have certain uh, high-value information and it's located someplace that might be a high-risk area, like out in a public area, that will need much more security around it than if you had it someplace uh, perhaps within many walls within the center of a building that all have locks on them and very tight access controls.
0: Hmm. All right. All right. That's good. So let me summarize these things, uh, if you don't mind. Um, so far, basically, what I believe you both have well communicated is, hey, an information security plan is non-negotiable. It must exist. If you're a business and you have employees and clients, you're likely collecting information, and that's not just technical things. So while we're talking about the senior living community, and we're talking about the adoption of Internet of Things devices and technology and networks, where there's a whole lot of data and privacy and planning that required there, it also includes everything leading up to and around it and afterwards as well, which could be paper-based, it could be experiential, it could be you know relational, communicative. Post it notes, the doors, so what data do you collect? Where is it located? Who has access to it? and then what's your plan? What's the plan to collect it? What's your plan to store it? What's your plan to share it and engage with it? So it has to be done on purpose, and while we all want to trust, we need to have a plan and then trust that we're all using the plan as opposed to just trusting the merits of good character and great people and sometimes hairy days and and it's a tough day exactly and and i might add
2: make sure you know if people are using their personally owned devices and mm-hmm. include those devices in your program because you you absolutely have to protect data everywhere even if it's not on your organization's own computer systems within your own facility walls If uh, And I know in a lot of organizations, people are now, especially with work from home, people are using their own personally owned laptops. And, oh my gosh, I'm looking right here as we speak at a USB drive that that has uh, 64 gigabytes of storage on it. And I know a lot of workers use these handy dandy tools to take home and do work at home, right? Or they probably already have them there. And it's easy to collect because this one only costs $9. And so, you know, I could have probably a dozen of those. Make sure all of your program covers those personally owned devices and storage devices and that you have training so that the people using them know how to secure them.
1: And, and what the professor just said on training that that's the most key part right um, having an information security plan and and doing you know regularly training on on that and and testing the effectiveness um, of your your training is important you can document everything um, but if if uh, you're not training your employees you run into situations where you know somebody may be just trying to do their job in um, just situational um, you know a, it all the time uh, somebody calls in to i don't know make a payment or whatever and your computer's down okay i'm going to pull out a sticky note here what's your credit card number right and write that down on a sticky note what's your cvv you know the the security code on the back and you know the the expiration date and everything and they stick that on their desk and and then you know later that that day when the computer comes back up um, you know, okay, I'm going to go process that, that payment now. Uh, what happened to that sticky note that has that payment card data on it? or what happened to that sticky note that had that person's social security number on it, right? And your your training on your information security plan isn't about, you know, this is our policy. You must read it, take a test and follow it. It's more about, hey, this is what, you know, we are charged with. This is why we're trying to protect data. Here are the threats to that. Here are the, you know, people that are trying to gather that to bring that that threat awareness or the vulnerability awareness to the employees um, so they can do their part in those situations situations where the policy may not you know cover it exactly right it helps bring them that situational awareness so they can do their part to continually protect the data so that training is a key part
0: that makes sense so training needs to be a part of this on purpose so let me transition this to uh, transition this conversation to um, privacy. Do you uh, believe that privacy is a component of the larger information security plan or is a privacy plan its own entity? Um, What's your perspective on that? And then what composes a good privacy plan in an organization that's collecting not only paper-based data, but they're also collecting um, data-based data? device-based data all over the place. I mean, what are your thoughts on privacy and what does that look like for folks?
2: Well, privacy definitely has a lot of overlaps with information security. I mean, you have to protect the information, certainly. I think a a very um, common misconception is that privacy means that you only protect data by encrypting it or it's just about confidentiality. It's, it goes so much more beyond that. Privacy means that you are giving the individuals about whom private, their personal information applies, you are giving them some control over that information. You're letting them know, hey, here's the information we're collecting from you. And by the way, here's how we're using it. And here's who we're sharing it with. and here's how long we're going to keep it and retain it retain it. Here's how you can get access to it because we want to make sure that it's accurate because if this information is not accurate, it can have impact on your personal life when that inaccurate data gets out there and is being used to make decisions about your life. Um, so yeah. I've been doing privacy and information security management since around 1993. Um, when I wanted to address privacy, I was responsible for creating the security requirements for what was uh, going to be. And I think it ended up being the first online internet bank in 1994, ninety three, ninety four, And I was establishing the security requirements and I Uh, Was doing research and I found the OECD privacy principles. I thought, you know, these make a lot of sense because this is a bank and a bank has a lot of personal data. So I happened to know the CEO because he ran to work early in the morning and got there at five thirty. I got there at five thirty, and so I could get there before everybody started calling me. And uh, so I thought, you know, I'll, I'll. I'll mention to him that it's important for the legal counsel to address privacy. Well, at that point in time, just think about it, 93, 94, there were no laws or regulations. So the general counsel said, sounds like a good idea, but it's not my problem because there's no legal requirements. So the CEO told me, hey, Rebecca, why don't you go ahead and take care of privacy while you're doing security? And that's Mm -hmm. where I learned throughout the years that it's so important for security and privacy areas to work together. I think when you, you ask before about, um, should that be part of the program? Should it be separate entities? I say that it should be maybe possibly two areas, but they have to be integrated. And in fact, I see the most successful security and privacy programs are the ones that really coordinate closely and often, report to the same um, person in the organization. you know they don't have the privacy officer reporting to the general counsel and the security person reporting to the CIO. They actually have like a, a chief information assurance officer who is responsible for all information and that comes down and covers privacy and security equally and they're kind of outside of the CIO and the general counsel area because I've I've learned from just experience that if you start getting put into the IT area or into the legal area, oftentimes needs and risks do not get addressed appropriately because you don't have enough authority in that organization to say, we need to do this. It's important. Sometimes you get overruled. So, Mm. you know, in these organizations, uh, when you're talking about, uh, you know, senior living organizations, those might have a little bit different um, setup with regard to executives and their, their org charts. But still, they need to understand that you need to address security and privacy, the different issues between them. But at the same time, They can't be done in isolation of each other. They have to work cooperatively in order to be successful. Hmm.
0: Well stated.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would uh, uh, echo um, what Professor Harold said. I I work closely with my um, uh, uh, counterparts on the the privacy side, the chief privacy officer, and um, uh, uh, they're very passionate uh, group of of privacy. I, I guess I would call them engineers architects but but more often advocates advocates is the best way I can describe it and I you know to answer your question about how I see you know privacy and information security um, and, and I may you know take a little bit different uh, view on this the the privacy uh, folks um, also have kind of a, an ethical um uh, watchdog component to it, right? It's not just about, you know, what data you're collecting, everything Professor Harold said, absolutely. But they're also there to make sure that the, you know, organization is is doing the ethical thing. Like we are, we are collecting this data specifically and solely for this purpose. And when another group or department comes by and has great innovative ideas, that's absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, that privacy plan and those privacy professionals are there to say, hold on a second, you know, I'm gonna be the voice of the customer. Have we communicated, you know, with the customer that we're gonna do this? Um, you know, we need to give them the option to choose whether or not they, they want to do this, right? So it's going beyond, um, You know, typical, this is what exactly the law says I can and can't do with this data, you know, from a privacy perspective. And it's more about, hey, are we doing the right thing by our customers? Do our corporate policies, do our corporate standards and procedures, you know, reflect our ethics and our values as it, you know, pertains to, you know, protecting our customers' data, only using the data in the way we stated we would use it, you know, not trying to blur between the lines or trying to figure out how to make an extra buck or whatever they are that 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 advocate they're speaking on behalf of the customer and the security plan is a component of of you know privacy in a sense because you know part of security is okay when it's on technical you know solutions how do we make sure it's encrypted or how we you know make sure that that it's secure in transit or it's only being stored where we allow it that's one small component of a larger privacy plan which is more around you know communicating and being ethical and truthful on what data we're collecting, what we're using it for, um, and, and giving people the opportunity, a choice um, to, you know, update that data or ask us to get rid of that data if needed. Um, that, that's really, you know, a privacy plan and the privacy program and the professionals that operate them.
0: So if I could summarize, uh, based on what I've heard so far, uh, before we move on to another interesting question, uh, it sounds to me like the idea of information security plan must exist, the idea of privacy on purpose must exist, and whether they are one idea or two ideas, they're, they're basically so interwoven that they bu- must both exist. Um, interestingly, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Rebecca.
2: Well, I was just going to say when you're talking about that interweaving, definitely, I want to give kind of a real world example too. And and I'll use HIPAA because I know that um, senior living organizations as covered entities, most of them are anyway, under the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act or HIPAA, you have the privacy rule and the security rule. And I know that a lot of organizations deal with each of those requirements separately in the organization. However, real world, the privacy rule requires that you give your patients, your residents, access to their personal information. So oftentimes that information is given to them via online portals. Now, The privacy office is going to say, okay, well, we're going to make a a policy that we must give all of our patients, all of our residents access to their health records. That meets that privacy rule requirement. Well, who's going to have to implement the actual access to that information within the system? It's going to have to be the IT area, and the information security area has to be involved because in order to meet the privacy rule requirements, which also include a very wide requirement to follow the security rule, right, (laughs) to have safeguards in place, they are going to have to be able to implement security over the way in which patients are given access to that uh, patient information. They have to work together because the, the security officer, they need to understand if what they're giving access to is everything that is necessary to meet the privacy rule requirements and then to log for the accounting of disclosures requirement, that access not only by the patient, by, by other people who need to get access to it as well. So those of your listeners who might have responsibilities for these might recognize that, yes, accounting of disclosures and access to information in all forms, not just digital, but also um, physical, you have to coordinate how that is done securely with the security officer as well. So I think that's a very important real-world scenario that every type of organization has to deal with.
0: Hmm. Well, let me take that material then and transition to my next question for you both, which is, um, let's say for organizations where the senior leadership said, okay, I can understand why this is important. So I should have an information security plan. And that requires a list of things that I need to go do now that I have historically not done, including information security training. And I need to have a privacy policy, privacy plan that's put in place that, is, to your point earlier, Nathan, giving the customer a choice and or acting on behalf of the customer while pursuing business goals and daily operations. So the senior leadership says, we need to have these. Well done. We are now persuaded we're going to get it done. And so they work diligently to put them in place. For organizations, whether they have experience with it or not, After they have these in place, they have an information security plan, they have a privacy plan, all is right with the world, and they believe that things are great. How do senior leaders in these organizations um, stay aware of how well their organization is actually doing implementing these ideas? In other words, just because we have it doesn't mean we do it. But if we are implementing and doing these things, how do I know on a regular basis as a leader, if I'm not involved in it day to day, how do I know that we're doing it well or doing it at all for that matter? How do they know? Nathan?
1: Yeah, so um, essentially you know, what we do in our world is called effectiveness testing, right? Um, how, how effective are our, you know, administrative controls, our, our operational controls, and our technical controls? And part of a healthy, you know, information security program um, is to have, you know, appropriate effectiveness testing. Um, and effectiveness testing, you know, can be anything from uh, audits, like we, like we um, you know, or probably mostly familiar with, somebody comes in and actually, you know, takes a look at your policies, your standards, and your procedures that make up your information security plan, Um, and then they observe day-to-day operations and and historical, you know, uh, artifacts and actions to see if, you know, people are actually adhering, you know, to those um, uh, policies and standards that you have in place. So, having an effective, you know, testing uh, program, both internal and external, um, whether you you know contract occasionally with a, an external third party to come and evaluate, or have you know somebody dedicated internal whose job is to to go through and just randomly spot check these these standards and the processes and procedures as they are in action. Um, the other thing is is to have a, a healthy um, reporting mechanism um, for employees that when they do see something. Um, that that you know violate standards or procedures that everyone's comfortable with. You know, elevating that so we the organizations can understand and and uh, you know employees won't have fear of reprisal necessarily um, because they they violated a particular standard, right? Uh, violating HIPAA privacy rule, you know, sounds like a, a pretty scary thing. Um, but you know, if if a process or procedure is broken or training isn't effective, right? We talked about training earlier. The organization needs to know that So it's important, you know, not for leaders to necessarily have heavy handed approach to policy violations, but more treat those as, you know, um, opportunities where you're testing your program and you are making changes, whether that be enhanced training or whether that be a total change of to procedure, because you found out, you know, something you documented in the past, you um, you know, may not be applicable today or may not be working today because, you know, new technology came in or new um, processes came in place. You know, employees are innovative all the time. They may find out ways to do things better and cheaper, um, but we may need to amend the policies and processes or tweak their innovative ideas (laughs) to ensure that it's still, you know, um, meeting the initial objectives of that information security program and plan.
2: Yeah, and, and I would add, too, um, all of this is so important um, to be part of a, a full risk management program that's a, a subset of your overall security program, that, uh, what Nathan talked about. One of the things I love, and I think um, the, um, the different types of senior living organizations and, and other healthcare organizations can do as well, and I think Nathan mentioned this, but I want to highlight it because I found it's very, very useful. I used to call them doing uh, work area walkthroughs. Uh, I do them after hours, but basically, what I would do is I'd get my team together and I do this for other clients too. And we would go through the areas and just see, you know, in the areas where people have their workstations, are they still logged in? Are they uh, logged in and actually in? a screen where patient data is being shown do they have files laying on top of their desk you know all the different things that you can actually see and here's one that oh this is still common today 25 years later 30 years later it's still common today sticky notes under your keyboards with your passwords written on them my gosh that is a that is still do the the work area walkthroughs that not only helps you to find, where people need more training and not just formal training, but also reminders, fun, do fun things uh, too, do different types of um, activities so people can you know, see what they're doing with regard to how they would handle security and privacy. Another thing I've done um, with some hospital systems is I have use case exercises. So I get different uh, teams together within an organization Give them a scenario. It's usually a breach or some other type of security incident and see if they can follow the published uh, security and privacy policies within the organization in order to appropriately address that situation. You know, you have your policies and procedures written for your employees to follow, right? So, do you know if they're going to be able to follow them when they really need to in disasters or business recovery and certainly... You know, in Iowa with a derecho, we had a lot of disaster recovery and business continuity being tested here um, in the past weeks. So doing those use case exercises is another way. You can call that it falls right under your training requirements for many different regulations beyond HIPAA. But it's not a formal training where they're sitting there, you know, looking at their screen. They're actually doing things and it's something that sticks in their mind. Uh, for quite a while Uh, and also doing other types of fun things have guest speakers in. I don't know if any of you remember Clifford Stoll. Uh, Clifford Stoll wrote the cuckoo's egg. He actually in 1987 busted the first huge uh, ring of Russian um, hackers into a university on the West coast Uh, because he noticed a two or three cent discrepancy within the system and he just wouldn't let it go. Um, And why would he let it go? Because everybody told him that two cents was within their, you know, range of acceptability for errors. And he was like, no, this isn't right. So anyway, uh, read that book, the cuckoo's egg. It's still very good, but I had him come in to be a guest speaker. And oh my gosh, he was so good. He, he kind of reminded me of Einstein and the way his look and his hair, especially, was. But uh, talk about engaging. And it got people interested and it made them think about security for many, many months after that. And how do I know? I know because I saw the number of hits on our internet website was so high for many months after he was there and people were calling and and actually giving you know me calling when they saw a concern is this a problem should we, should we be worried about this you know and I love that because it meant that they had really taken in that message of You know, information security is important and it's important to recognize when something might be wrong. So, all of this falls under risk management because it is helping everyone in your organization to identify where risks may be and also then take actions uh, when they think there's a risk and they they need your help uh, as security or privacy officer to let them know whether or not that is something they need to. To be concerned with
0: let me summarize some of the things i think we've talked about today and then i'm interested in some uh, final thoughts that you may have uh, yet unspoken basically what we've discussed is information security and privacy plans must exist and in order to do those things you need to know what you have where it is who's engaged with it how it's being utilized and its full life cycle from um, birth to end-of-life cycle, and what you're going to do at each stage along the way. And that includes everything from paper to marker boards to post-it notes, although there should be no post-it notes, all the way out to the digital stuff, which includes the adoption of Internet of Things devices for remote monitoring in order to enable autonomy for our elders, and eventually uh, maybe even us. So the privacy and security plans need to exist. It needs to be done on purpose. But then after it exists, you need to put in place a framework or a behavior that says, hey, I'm going to regularly check, regularly test, regularly train to make sure that everyone is informed, everyone is practicing, everyone is heading in the same direction in the way that we need to. So the things that you've communicated should be no surprise to people, which is, hey, yes, you need to have them. Yes, you need to do it on purpose. And by the way, you're actually never done. So after these things come to exist, you haven't said it, so I'm asserting it. But you're never done. These exist. They have to continue to exist. You have to continue to train, continue to practice, continue to audit and test and verify and validate. You're never done. So thank you. For articulating these things, because it's not only Internet of Things, it's everything inside the organization. But I wonder, do you have any parting thoughts for us that you haven't uh, mentioned yet? Uh, Nathan, Rebecca, anything additional you think? Hmm, I have a couple of additional thoughts I'd like people to consider along the way.
1: Yeah, I would just state, you know, it it may seem overwhelming at first. Information security program or or plan, and if you don't know what that is, you you may have a tendency to to go Google that, and you're just gonna, you know, the good news, bad news is there's going to be a plethora of of information out there, and there's a lot of guidance. Um, you know, they're they're uh, one of the most common is the the National Institutes of Standards and Technology specifically. Um, the Special Publication 800 series. It's a great resource to go out to learn about, you know, what you should be thinking about in your information security plan, but don't get overwhelmed by it. You can start simple by, by creating simple procedures about, hey, you know, when we have this form that needs to fill out, here is our procedure on this form. Customer fills it out, and we do you know A, B, and C with it all the way from you know when they they finish it and hand it off to you to when you you know eventually hand it in, in the shredder. Write detailed uh, description plans, and all that is is you know giving your employee and your staff you know directions on how to do your business, um, uh, but you're you're adding in the security components in there to make sure you understand every step of the way. So it can be that simple. And over time, as you create more and more simple documents like that, that becomes your information security plan. That is what um, is really, um, you know, I guess, helping you Ensure that you're protecting your your clients and your customers and consumers' data at that point, and then you can use those references like NIST um, uh, to to help you understand what am I not thinking about? What else uh, do do I need you know help with? And it can help guide you. So don't let it overwhelm you.
0: Very good. So use NIST 800 series as a, an excellent starting point, but start small. Rebecca.
2: Yeah, and I would add too. Everyone needs to remember and think about the fact that these concepts that you use to secure what's within your organization, these apply to your own life. Everyone basically now has their own computers. Everyone has their own smart devices, their own smartphones, uh, Wi-Fi networks. I mean, not everyone, but it's getting there. One of these days, it'll I mean, it it will be ubiquitous. It will be pretty much anywhere you go, you're actually going to be, if not leaving a digital vapor trail around you, you're going to be passing through other people's digital vapor trails because everyone is having computing devices. So when you think about developing these controls, think about the fact that you can use these same concepts, these same controls within your own home. You can use them within your own Wi-Fi network at home and so on. So you need to keep that in mind Um, and and just view this as an opportunity to to use what you're doing at work to also improve your own home life with regard to your digital assets and your your paper assets and secure them uh, better as far as that goes.
0: Well, This has been an outstanding conversation today, and I am confident that in just the short amount of time that we've been together, we haven't even come close to communicating or amplifying all of the things that are occurring in both of your minds this entire conversation. So thank you for distilling a lot of your experience and your thoughts and your perspectives uh, down into uh, smaller bite-sized chunks uh, for everybody to think through. Today, we've talked about information security plans We've talked about the value of privacy plans and doing both of those things on purpose and a lot of the work that goes into getting there. But then we've also talked about after it's in place, how do you know you're doing the right thing correctly and completely on a regular basis well into the future? These aspects, these conversations help people get started, but there's a whole lot of work after that. And they're probably going to have to have one or more people who exist in the company to do these things on purpose on a regular basis. And both of you have experience leading and guiding and training those types of organizations and those teams and those uh, implementations, uh, companies large and small. So thank you for taking the time to teach us. Thank you for a wonderful conversation. And I look forward to talking with you both again in the future.
1: Likewise. Thank you, Matthew. Yeah, Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. The Long Way Around the Barn is brought to you by Trility Consulting,
0: where Matthew serves as the CEO and President. If you need to find a more simple,
1: reliable path to achieve your desired outcomes, visit trility.io.
0: To my listeners, thank you for staying with us. I hope you're able to take what you heard today and apply it in your context, so that you're able to realize the predictable, repeatable outcomes you desire for you, your teams, company, and clients. Thank you.